Well, good morning. I'm Joel. It's good to be with you today. It is snowing, but God loves you anyway. <laughs> and I just want to, can we just acknowledge something? I'm backstage and I heard somebody like give a flat out whistle for Jesus. That, come on. Like that just, that, I feel closer to God right there in that moment. Whistling for Jesus. Let's make a t-shirt. Um, oh man, I hope you're doing well. Second week, 1 Corinthians in a series called Restore. Uh, if you weren't here with us last week, uh, we started a renovation, a restoration process on this beautiful piece of cabinetry. It is getting better, which is good, because what's our dollar figure we're wanting to raise? Three million. Three million. All right. Um, help, help pay for some stuff with the building and maybe some missions. Where I know. We probably will auction this off, give some money to missions. That'll be fun to do. We're in that process right now. Here's the problem with restoration, individually, but also as a marriage, businesses, doesn't matter what it is. When you go through a process of restoration, this is what it requires, where all of a sudden, instead of doors hanging, now they've been taken off. It can be painful at first, can it? And sometimes for a long season, it can be hard. You're restoring a marriage and you're like, this doesn't feel good. This isn't what God intended. It's not. But you're getting back to a place now that God can do amazing things. So I want, to be, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged that sometimes even though it's painful, even though it hurts, even though it can be really an annoyance in many regards, uh, God in his process of restoration can do amazing things with us. And you may feel like this piece of furniture, but in a few weeks you're going to see this and it's going to be beautiful. And you're going to look at it, and you're going to go, yeah, that, that, that's a picture of what my life could be. But you have to go through the heart. You have to acknowledge the pain in your life. You have to acknowledge the sin in your life. You have to confess it. You have to sometimes go to other people and say, you know what, I'm sorry. But God can use that. So this is a picture of what we're talking about. 1 Corinthians, looking at the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, called Restore. That's what we're looking at. And we know that for the church to be restored, the individual has to be restored first because the church is simply a picture of the individual and what you've been walking through. So if you don't like a church, we all know this. Someone comes to me, hey, pastor, I uh, really appreciate such and such, but I go, hang on. Before you say anything, know that the church is your, it's just a reflection of you. And then they always walk away. So I want, I want to even give you an idea of a restoration of a church. What does a restored church look like? Now, I'm doing this because I think it's going to help you understand what a restored individual looks like as well. Here's what a restored church will be. A restored church will be unified, right? There's a, there, there's a unity by focusing on Christ. This is what a, a, a restored church but also a restored individual looks like. Um, if you want your marriage to be restored, you're going to focus on Christ. Same type of thing. You're focusing on Christ. You're planted in biblical foundations. It is only the Word of God. We will preach the Word of God. If we don't preach the Word of God, if we add anything to it, then it's just everybody's opinion on what they're wanting to add for that season of life. There is only one Word, only one authority that is forever and ever. It is the Word of God. That is what we will preach. That is what it is to be planted in biblical foundations. You're going to have a discipline for sharpening and holding each other accountable. Another way we would say that is uh, we want to sharpen and encourage. We hear that often, right? Because the person who only sharpens can be considered a jerk. 
Um, but the person who only um, builds you up all the time, oh, you're so great, it just ends up being fluff and you don't listen to them anymore. We need to both sharpen and encourage one another. We need to lift each other up, but also say, hey, listen, I need to hold you accountable on some things here. I'm seeing the way that you're treating your spouse, the way you, you ignore your husband or whatever it is, and the way you roll your eyes, and it's just not godly. What are you doing? But they're also led, uh, churches that are restored are led by humble leaders, and I think it's the same thing in your household. Restoration comes with humility. The most important trait for us today is humility. Humility, 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 humility. So that's what we're going to be talking about um, because uh, here comes uh, Paul. He's writing this letter. We covered a whopping three verses last week. Today we're covering verses 4 through 17. Everybody say, good luck. Um, So we're going to try to cover this. Let's go ahead. Who's ready for the Word of God? Let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of the Word of God. I'm only going to read 4 through 9 right now. Later on, we're going to stand up again for the second section. We've got two sections here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 4 through 9, and then we're going to dive into 10 through 17 a little bit later on, okay? Um, So here we go. Uh, Here is the Word of God. When I stop speaking, you start with the next word, okay? I give thanks to my always for you because of the of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were that in every way you were you got to remember this in him in all speech and in all knowledge even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will you to the very end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. You may be seated. So here's another way to think about it. Here's a paraphrase. I thank God for you. I think about you all the time, but I'm so grateful that we have a free access to God through Jesus Christ together because that makes us brothers and that that's beyond any knowledge that we can have. It's beyond any speech that we could have. It's beyond anything else that we could have in common that we get to share in Jesus Christ together. We don't need anything else because we got Jesus. Isn't it wonderful to think about the blessings and the grace of God that he's given us every gift that we need. Anything is our, that we need is at our disposal That's the power of the grace of God. I'm so glad that we get to be brothers and sisters in Christ together. That's a paraphrase of everything that he was just saying. There it is. He just calls it out and he's letting them know, man, this is wonderful. In fact, I think what he's doing is he's he's unpacking verse 2. So in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, he speaks about the sanctification that is found in Christ Jesus. Sanctification, once again, from last week, means that we have been set apart. And so being set apart, it's like, how, are you, how do you know that you've been set apart? Well, he's going to tell them that it's through God's grace and the abundance of God's grace. So if you're, you're taking notes, you've got two sections here. I'm going to give you some things really quick in about two minutes about God's grace and how, the, how do you identify God's grace in your life? So he, he, he calls it out. He goes, I give, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So there's the grace of God. This is, this is how you know you're set apart. You're sanctified, verse 2, okay? And this is what he says. Very clearly, he says, well, you know that great, the grace enriches us. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him. 
So God's grace is enriching you. It's fulfilling you. Verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed to you, God's grace gives you a, verse 6 tells us that God's grace, it gives you a story to tell. It gives you a testimony. You now have a story to tell. It's what we always tell them. If if you've come to encounter Jesus Christ and you're not telling anybody about it, I'm going to question if you've really encountered Christ because Christ is so great. It's beyond anything else that we could imagine. So if you've encountered him, you're going to tell other people. So God's grace, it steps in and it lets you know that you've been enriched. Verse 6, that you have a story to tell. Verse 7, that you have every gift that you need so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You already have everything you need through the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so if you're always in a mode of, I just need one more thing, if I could just have this, you do not understand fully what Christ has already done. God owes you nothing more than what he's already done through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Say it all the time. So God's grace, what does it do? Verse 5, it enriches. Verse 6, it gives you a story to tell. Verse 7, he gives you the gifts to serve. You're lacking in nothing. Verse 8, it tells us, verse 8, that he... Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Meaning you're blameless now in Christ. You have the ultimate hope. It's a firm foundation, an anchor for the soul. So now you're made blameless. But also, and then verse 9, it tells us that the grace of God gives you fellowship with one another. Here it is, verse 9. You jump in. God is faithful. Everybody say, God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus our Lord. So now you have a fellowship with one another through Jesus Christ. Friends, the grace of God we, is something that we, if, you, if you've gone to church very long at all, you, you hear about the, uh, God's grace, you hear about what that means for us, and we are so flippant to run right past it. God's grace means that we have been enriched, that we have everything that we need, that we get to be in fellowship with one another, that we are now held blameless before God, and we are good to go. May we start acting like it. So he's giving God thanks for this. In fact, in the first 10 verses, he mentions the name Jesus 11 times, at least once per verse, because he's giving God thanks for this church. Now, we know he's, he's about to rebuke this church in a lot of significant ways. He's going to spend a lot of energy correcting the church. Why? Because they're not unified. But he's beginning by letting them know very clearly, wow, praise be to God. Look at all we have through his grace. Man, guys, you've been enriched. You have a fellowship with one another, and you've got every gift, everything that you need. Remember, they're on this, this isthmus, and they've got these two seas around them. It's a trading route. We know primary, two primary things about Corinth. It's a trading route, but also moral decay. So that, he's like, you've got everything that you need. You've got all this wealth. And he's like, beyond any speech, verse, uh, verse 5, that you've been enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. You have plenty of knowledge. You have plenty of speech. You have plenty of wealth. You have plenty of resources. This is amazing. God is so good and just throwing out his grace. I wish we carried that mentality, that posture everywhere we went, that we were just overwhelmed by the grace of God. And so he speaks to this very, very bluntly. And he's letting them know, you have everything you already need. Start acting like it. This is fantastic. You've got all the speech. You've got all the knowledge. In fact, they have so many gifts. He has to acknowledge the gifts aren't the problem. God, God doesn't mind blessing, friends. 
But the gifts here weren't the problem. But they had wrong attitudes regarding the wealth and the knowledge that they possessed. That's, that's the same with every individual. It's the same with every society. You hit, you hit rock bottom. God, please help. God, please help. God starts to build up. We start relying on him. The reason we see often, people are like, why does God often work in areas in which there's greater poverty, etc.? doesn't mean there's less knowledge or anything. It's because there's a, they actually sense a need for him, and they're not relying on self. We had a need for God, the founding of this country. We no longer have a need. Now we've said, God, please bless this nation. God bless. Well, you don't mean that at all. That was horrible. God bless. America. That's what we say, right? God bless. Well, we don't say it anymore, of course. But God bless America. God bless it. We just want God's blessings. God, please bless. Give us instruction. Let us be faithful to you. And we grow in that way. And then all of a sudden, now we take the blessings of God. And instead of giving God this wonderful praise and gratitude for how he is blessed, we said, look at what we've done. Isn't that what we always do? And so they, have, they had adopted the wrong posture. Remember, it was 146 that Rome came in and destroyed this very area of Corinth. It was 42 BC, Julius Caesar came, reestablished it, and they started to prosper once again. And so it, doesn't t- it does not take long for people to start taking the credit for that which God accomplished. Doesn't take long at all. But this is how Charles Spurgeon says it. Should it not show us that gifts are nothing unless they are laid on the altar of God? That it is nothing to have the gift of oratory. That it's nothing to have the power of eloquence. That it's nothing to have learning. That it's nothing to have influence unless they all be dedicated to God. You can have every athletic ability. You can have every ability that you need with music or with math or with performance or business. It does not matter unless it is dedicated to the authority of Jesus Christ. And they were missing the mark. So he gives us thanksgiving, and he's letting them know. This is, you know, when you start looking at all the times he mentions Jesus, right? Verse 1, he calls out, apostle of Christ Jesus. Verse 2, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Verse, uh, he says it again in verse 2, Lord Jesus Christ. Gra- uh, verse 3, grace to you in Lord Christ Jesus. And then the grace of God in Christ. He just kept going. It's, here's what you learn in this beginning statement, that everything we need is already found in Jesus. Everybody say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Went to a church a couple years back. And I, I literally, I was crying because in the service, I didn't hear the name Jesus one time. What are we doing? And here comes Paul and his writing to Corinth. And this, he is, again, he's about to correct him. He's about to rebuke him. He's letting them know, you've got everything you need in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. One more time, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Go. Like, we need to start proclaiming Jesus more and giving gratitude for Jesus, what he's done. Everything we need is found in Jesus. So he just declares it. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. But sometimes we don't know how to incorporate Jesus into our life. We don't know how to incorporate Jesus into our life unless we're in need. Unless we're hurting, unless we have a desperation for him. One of the best things that we could do is to start freely acknowledging, speaking our need of Jesus. 
to our friends, to our family, to our spouses, to our colleagues. I just need, I need more Jesus in my life. I'm making decisions based on what I want. Uh, re- recently, um, this last week, my, one of my daughters, uh, Ashley, she turned 14. Um, and uh, I was, it was one of the most proud moments of my life because I asked her, um, what do you want for dinner? You know, you, my kids get whatever they want for dinner except for Taco Bell or Burger King. So if you own one of those, I got to stop saying that kind of stuff. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> so I said, what do you want? She goes, you know I want a good, just a good piece of steak. And I was like, my heart warmed. Amen. <laughs> like I heard angels. It was like, it was so neat. Um, and so I went, I bought a really good piece of steak. And she's like, you, I want asparagus, mashed potatoes, and steak. It'll be amazing, Dad. And I'm like, oh, I just love you. You get all the inheritance. And um, so we're, we're going through all this. And at the end, it got even better because I was like, hey, do you want some more of the asparagus, the vegetables? And she's like, no, Dad, I had way too much meat. And I was like, proud. And, and Melissa's like, she should have eaten the asparagus. I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, and it just, she was so full on the steak, she had room for nothing else. Guys, we should be so full on Jesus, we have room for nothing else. And we're not. And we keep looking for other things to provide fulfillment and hope. And it will. I tell you all the time, friends, by now, you should have figured it out. It won't work. You're going to keep looking. Everything we need is found in Jesus. In fact, can we put that slide back up there? That'd be great. Let's put that slide back up there. That was really good. Everybody say that together. And I hope that you believe that. So you then I know, hey, I'm so grateful for you guys. This is amazing. I love what we see that God is doing. And then he jumps in to the second portion of Scripture here, 10 through 17. So we get to stand again for the reading of the Word of God. Will you please stand? And this is what it says. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no among you, but that you be perfectly in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are what? Among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to the not with and so that the cross of Christ not be emptied of its power. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So that first session, section there, four through nine, everything we need is found in Jesus. He's letting them know, I give God 
thanks for his grace. He's given you everything you need. Man, you have all wisdom and all knowledge. You guys are rich. You got everything. This is so great. I praise God that we get to be in fellowship with one another and that we know his goodness. And then he jumps in and he says this, guys, I have a serious issue with you. It says, I appeal. Another word would be, in, in, in the original language, would be to exhort or um, to implore. It is, it is a literal, like, uh, we're so nice in today's culture. Even if somebody does this really wrong, a lot of times we'll be like, hey, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but, like, maybe if you could not hit me again, because um, that kind of hurt my face. Um, like we're so not, this is a, what I call it. If you look at the original language, I appeal to you. I am imploring you. This is a grab. If you know the person, if you don't know them, don't. If you know the person next to you, grab their collar and say, you better listen. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. We're going to have therapy later in counseling. It's good. All right. That's what this is. This is what I would call a grab-the-collar moment. God's grace is so amazing. This is wonderful. He's giving you everything you need. This is fantastic. You better listen to me, though, right now. By the authority, he's going to say, by the authority of Jesus Christ, you better listen up. And he calls it out. He's like, you need to start. He's like, you better listen to me. You better start getting along with each other. What he's going to tell him, you keep injecting yourself into situations that only Jesus can fulfill. You're making too less of Jesus and too much of self. And as a result, you're not getting along. Friends, if you fill up with too much Jesus, it's amazing what it will do to restore your marriage. If you would set aside your own selfishness and your own ego and your own arrogance. That's why the greatest thing that we need today is humility, humility, humility. I'm looking for people on this team. People like This last week, I was talking to one of our guys. I was like, man, we, we don't need the people with the greatest talent. We need people with the greatest humility. Because God uses that. And so he's like, man, you, you better start getting along together. You, you're not even sharing the things that you have in common with each other. Chloe told me about what you're doing. You're fighting amongst yourselves. You've got a bunch of quarreling going on. What are you thinking? What kind of witness is that to the world around you that you are so consumed with self and what you desire that you're not even preaching Jesus? You don't have to be eloquent in wisdom and in your speech and in your words. You just got to preach Jesus. And he's harsh in this. We make it way too neat and tidy. What he does, he's four through nine, he makes it all about, I thank God for Jesus and his grace. It's a vertical thing. And then he's going to let them know, 10 through 17, if you get this right, all the horizontal relationships seem to fall in place. But because you're not making enough about Jesus, all of this is going wrong. And now you got quarrels and divisions and all this angst amongst you. You follow me? Anybody ever experienced this in their own life? Right? So he calls out the problem, this lack of focusing on Jesus. And listen, a lack of focusing on Jesus is actually the product of focusing on self. 
The lack of focusing on Jesus is a product of focusing on self. Wouldn't it be great if we could more easily speak to what Jesus and what Christ has instructed and what he desires of our lives than we could speak to what our preferences are? And so Corinth is this church. There were, I mean, we know from Acts chapter 18, as I went through last week, we know from this passage as a whole that there were some amazing believers in Corinth, but as collected, as a, as a body of believers, they were failing because they, they wouldn't get enough Jesus. They kept, their preferences mattered too much to them. I mean, I've been in those situations. I was at one church, and um, man, I, so, I so badly, I might have told this story years ago, I so badly just wanted to paint the wall. It was bright purple. And I was like, I don't, I don't think this is communicating what we're wanting to communicate. Like, can we just paint like this a neutral color? And you would think that I was the devil. But we're so, they're so focused on, but I did this rather than what could be best to bring in. Listen, I'm, I want to reach people who don't know Jesus Christ. The world needs more Jesus. But they weren't focusing on Jesus. And so he, he has a grab-the-collar moment. You've had those with your kids. Maybe if you have kids. I've had grab, you know, like guys, we call them family admin, right? So sometimes we have a grab-the-collar moment. Guys, this is what I'm seeing in our behaviors right now. It ain't going to happen anymore. Let me tell you why. Let's go to the Word of God. Do we desire to reflect Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? Yes, Dad. Is that what we're doing by doing this, this, and this? No. Well, that's no option. If you don't want it, get out. Get a coat, take a walk down the street, come back when your head and your heart's right. You think I'm exaggerating? I'm not. Ask my kids. Because Jesus is what matters most. So here's a way of thinking about the first section, one, uh, four through nine. Everything we need is found in Jesus. Second section, it's the horizontal, is that the palpable presence of Jesus, if we have Jesus, 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 right, that the palpable presence of Jesus in our lives allows for now all we need with others. If this is right, it's amazing what it does to marriages here. If this is right, it's amazing what it does to friendships here. If this is right, it's amazing to do what it does to relationships and colleagues here at school, at work, anything else. If this is right, it's amazing how we think differently about finances. If this is right, it's amazing how we think about possessions differently. If this is right, all of a sudden our habits begin to change. If this is right, Jesus, 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 everybody say it. I'm not trying to be oversimplistic. This is what he's doing. He's like, guys, we have everything we need in Jesus, but because you're not focusing on Jesus, things are falling apart. He just, it's right there in front of me. And he even then, he's like, hey, listen, you're, the, church, the Corinthian church was divided by who they were following. He, he calls this out as well. He's like, some of you, uh, very clearly, he, he, he just jumps in. So I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Apollos is a great speaker, right? I, I, um, he's even, he even asked, I follow Christ, right? Cephas, I follow him. And then he asked a, a, certainly a rhetorical, a couple of questions that are rhetorical. Um, is Christ divided? No. Like that would have been a silly thing to ask. Is Christ divided? No, of course Christ isn't divided. Then why are you being divided over your preferences? 
Was Paul crucified for you? Of course, that's, that's silly. No, Paul wasn't crucified. It was only Christ and make things more about Christ. Was Paul crucified or, or, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, come on. So now I'm saying he's got these questions, rhetorical, but almost humorous in a way. Because of course the answer was no, but what he's doing in asking those questions is he's calling to light. He's bringing to light. Guys, hello, this is what you're doing though. You're elevating the person, a person that you know more than you're elevating Jesus Christ who conquered death. What are you doing? You're not getting this right. We do it in our relationships, our marriages, and everything else all the time. Friends, if you make, an, if you make, make it enough about Jesus, you don't have room for anything else. And the lack of unity led to the fabric of the church unraveling. The lack of unity led to the, the fabric of the church unraveling. And so he acknowledges this, letting them know that the body of Christ is not to be divided. And he's, he tells them, man, I'm grateful that I've only baptized a few people because I don't want you to better give me credit for anything else. You ever gotten upset with someone um, when they've claimed credit for something that you did? I mean, it goes way back. Imagine you're, you're five years old and you and your sibling clean the room and your mom comes home and, and, and we both know that your sibling didn't help, but they're like, you guys are amazing. And you're just thinking, they didn't help at all. Right away, you want, you want credit for what you did. Anybody been like this before? And then it goes to school and then it goes to a career and it goes even in a relationship, right? You end up having kids and everybody's like, man, I'm so, like, so I, I'll be honest. Sometimes everybody's like, I'm so, they, they do it a lot. I'm so glad that your kids take after your wife. Like a little over the top to where I'm just like, hey, I help too. But honestly, I don't care. I just want them to look like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen? And so I process. He's like, I'm, I'm glad I can't take more credit for baptizing more of you. I'm glad that you can't give me more credit. I'm glad that you can't give me more attention because I'm only here to preach the gospel. This is what he says, and he calls it out. He's, he declares it, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. And I'm grateful that many of you know my story. Speech therapy every day till the middle of third grade. Couldn't hear. Had to use sign language. Like my parents prayed I would speak. And now they pray I would shut it. And I'm grateful because I don't have to have eloquent words of wisdom. I know I still struggle with certain things. I don't care because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. I don't have to have credit for anything because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. 
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And our life, the way you leave this place, the decisions you made this afternoon should be going, how do we make more of Jesus? How do we make more of Jesus? And he says, I don't need words of eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, when you don't make enough of Jesus, you're lessening his power in your life. Hear this. When you don't make enough of Jesus, you're emptying, you're removing the power he desires to display in your life. Because friends, you don't have enough power. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough of what you need, but Jesus does. You see what we do? We, we, we focus on self and now we don't get to make enough of Jesus. And we don't make enough of Jesus. We remove his power, lest Christ be emptied of his power. And let me tell you now, the power of the cross is all we need. We must not take our eyes off of Jesus. For me, the challenge for you today is this, as I conclude. Write down what areas of your life that you need to inject more Jesus. And then talk about it. I mean, that's the thing with our culture today. I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day is that this is such a reserved culture and everybody's like, it's just, it's not just Western, it's our nations. We, we bottle things up, we take them and we shove them down as deep as possible. Let's start talking about our need for Jesus. Let's start talking about speaking out loud. I need more Jesus in my marriage. I need more Jesus in my relationships. I need more Jesus in the financial decisions that I'm making. Let's declare them, let's call them out because we need more Jesus. So write them down, give it to God, and then watch his power on display. God, may you encourage these brothers and sisters to make more of you. May you encourage these brothers and sisters to remember that it is by the grace of God that we celebrate. May you encourage these brothers and sisters to know that they have all they need already in the power of the cross of Christ. May you encourage them to, to set aside self to make more room for you. Praise be to God. In Christ's name, amen.